Welcome to the Damascus Road Podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. Have you ever known someone like Penelope? Someone who is always just waiting for their turn to talk, always has to one-up your story, and so desperately needs you to know just how great they are. When she was younger, my daughter Kaylin was a little bit of a Penelope. Now, for at three, four, five years old, she clearly didn't have much life experience where she could actually actually one-up a story, um, but she would hilariously devise these elaborate and intricate stories so she could just be part of a conversation. It's relatively cute and endearing in a little kid, and it is something much different when you experience it in an adult. I've known a few pet Penelopes in my time, might even work with a couple right now. You know, uh, I think if we choose to see it, I think God puts people of all different personality types in our lives and that hopefully allows us to gain some sympathy and empathy for them. And then we know how to better relate with these types of people when we encounter them moving forward in our lives. But that still doesn't mean it won't get frustrating dealing with them when we do encounter them. Like the number of times I've wanted to tell a coworker, listen, man, you don't have to keep telling me how great you are. We're cool. I'm not going, to, not going to think less of you if you stop telling me about all the great stuff you've accomplished. Like take 30% off of it, okay, bud? We'll be good. But while we may never get as extreme as Penelope, I believe this is coming from a place that we can all relate to. We all want to be liked. We all want to belong. We all want to feel important. We all have this desire to know that the things we do are seen and they matter. It feels good to be celebrated and to get that proverbial pat on the back. Ambition, drive, and success, they're pillars of our culture. To the world, we are the sum of our accomplishments, and the more accomplishments we have, the more useful and important we are. We crave it, and we scratch and claw to get it. And what's the cost? What happens when we buy into this idea that we need to be bigger and better than everyone else? What happens when we make sure we celebrate ourselves out of fear that no one else will? What happens when we make small, seemingly inconsequential decisions day after day that slowly build ourselves and our way in life over God's way? Do we become Penelope's or do we become something else? And if this is not the way to live, what is? How can we fight against this thinking? What does God have to say about pride, arrogance, and in turn, their opposite, humility? As we continue our journey through the Songs of Ascent this morning, we're going to take a look at Psalm 131 and what it has to say about living life in humility and contentment. This summer series that we've been going through, Songs of Ascent, was inspired by the book A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by pastor and author Eugene Peterson. You may have noticed uh, everybody speaking this summer using a lot of quotes from him up front, and that's why. It's based on his book. He has done many things, and one of the things he is most known for is the Message Bible. Yeah, like, he did that. Like, had help from some scholars, but he did that. And I can't imagine what an undertaking it would be to come up with a new version of the Bible. But he did it, and he apparently spent 10 years doing it. And if it were me, I'd honestly be bragging about this accomplishment all the time. But not Peterson. 
while we while we'd all probably understand if he pridefully boasted from time to time about this accomplishment he does not and i think today's psalm is one of the reasons why so i want to start by reading psalm 131 together uh, first in the message and then in the new living translation I think there's a benefit to doing this as some of the language is a little different, but gives us a little different perspective on both. And um, that can kind of help us get a feel for the, for the psalm. So, like we've done a few times this summer, I want us all to get a little uncomfortable. And we're going to read Psalm 131 aloud together. So first in the message. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. Like a baby content in mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now. Hope always. All right, now let's read it together from the NLT. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. Good work, everybody. Eugene Peterson describes this psalm as a psalm of maintenance. No matter whether we've been following Jesus for a short time or we've been followers most of our lives, our lives and our faith need continual maintenance. We feel the constant pull between God's ways and values and our culture's ways and values, and we need that course correction from God every now and then. And that's what this psalm does for us. It speaks from an idyllic place that gives us a vision of our future selves as we end our journey, like the journey of the Songs of Ascent. And we end it humble, content, and devoid of pride and arrogance. Peter, Peterson likens this kind of life and faith maintenance to the pruning of trees and bushes. Psalm 131 is to the person what pruning is to vegetation. It gets rid of that which looks good to those who don't know any better and reduces the distance between our hearts and their roots in God. I admittedly do not have much of a green thumb uh, and I don't fully understand the pruning process. I was on a walk in our neighborhood the other day and our neighbors had this landscaper in their yard pruning this big tree in their front yard. And he was cutting off these beautiful, large, lush branches and I'm a very visual person, and like kind of what Peterson was saying, it didn't visually make sense to me why all these parts of the tree needed to be cut off. But that is what he's talking about here. Similarly, my daughter Kaylin uh, wants to keep growing her hair really, really long. Like she wants to grow it down past her butt. She didn't want me to say butt this morning, so like any good father, I chose to say it anyways to embarrass my preteen, who isn't even in this room right now and decided to be in kids' church <laughs> this morning. Um, so, so she's that embarrassed, I guess. Um, but despite her wanting to keep her hair growing, and much to her chagrin, Erica still makes her go get an occasional haircut. She's getting one tomorrow before school starts. Why? Because you have to get rid of those dead ends to keep the hair healthy. You have to cut things back to make them grow. It seems counterintuitive, but is wise and good for health and growth. 
It appears that you are ruining something when you're in fact helping it. Sometimes maintenance doesn't make sense from the outside, but is a very necessary for continued growth, whether it be plant, hair, or human soul. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. So what does this stop in our journey, Psalm 131, prune? It prunes away unruly ambition and infantile dependency. So let's unpack these things a little bit and see how they relate to humility and contentment that this psalm is pointing us back to. So first up, humility versus unruly ambition. Our culture is very adept in throwing up roadblocks and stumbling blocks in the way for us to effectively follow God. And ambition is a very big one of these roadblocks. Ambition on its own is not inherently a bad thing. It is not wrong to want to work hard and to achieve something. But ambition is held up as one of the core values of our American culture. Here, ambition is encouraged and rewarded with virtually no qualification. To be on top, no matter what you're on top of, is admired and celebrated. And Peterson puts it this way. We are caught up in a way of life that, instead of delighting in finding out the meaning of God and searching out the conditions in which human qualities can be, re- be best realized, recklessly seeks ways to circumvent nature, arrogantly defies personal relationships, and names God only in curses. That is the genesis of pride, putting our wants, ways, and selves before God and others. And because of how much it is celebrated, it becomes much harder to recognize in us and in the world around us. We turn what the Bible calls a sin, pride, taking things into your own hands and becoming your own God. We turn that into basic wisdom. Take care of me first, improve yourself by whatever means possible, and get ahead regardless of the price. Do people find that it works? Sure, maybe for a little while but is never something that is sustainable. It will never be enough, and you will always be left wanting more. This is hard, too, because we tend to conflate or at least make synonyms out of the words ambition and aspiration. Where ambition is our strong desire to achieve something, aspiration is our hope of achieving something. And I think that the word hope makes a big difference here. What should our aspirations, what should our hope be as Christians. Aspiration should, should be the hopeful striving for the best God has for us, because ambition is aspiration gone awry. If we take the energy of aspiration and remove God from it, painting our own picture of how things can and should be, we end up with arrogance. We end up with pride, not humility. Aspiration is the channeled creative energy that moves us along in our journey and growth in Christ. Ambition takes that same energy and uses it to make a cheap imitation that focuses on ourselves. Look at the first part of Psalm 131 again. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. This is the type of people we want to aspire to be to prune back back the pride and arrogance in our lives, bringing us back closer to God so that we might continue to grow to be more like Jesus. And I love the word use of the word haughty in this uh, version. This is from the NLT. Um, There's an old adage that your eyes are the window to your soul. And so what might someone say if they spent time looking into your eyes? What would they see? Would they describe you as haughty? 
arrogantly superior and disdainful, I think we all would hope that is not what they would see. But while that seems like a very aggressive definition of haughty, it is one of the definitions, and isn't that ultimately the distillation of Penelope's behavior? Hidden behind her sheepish, hair-twirling facade is her arrogance in making sure everyone knows how much better she is, right? I'll admit I've never been that much of an ambitious person. I've never been super driven to get the highest paying job or to climb the corporate ladder but I have aspired to have a well-paying job to be able to pay for me and my family um, and our life. And then I've also aspired to advance to other jobs and companies that I've worked with. So is that semantics? Maybe. But is that bad? No. But I have not always brought God with me in those scenarios, which ultimately leaves those pursuits empty because I am focused on what I can do for myself, not on what God is doing in and around me. Because as Peterson puts it, our lives are lived well only when they are lived on the terms of their creation, with God loving and us being loved, with God making and us being made, with God revealing us, with God revealing and us understanding, with God commanding and us responding. But understanding the dangers of pride and in light of what we've talked about with humility versus ambition, Peterson then does pose this question. But what if we are but if we are not to be proud, clamorous, arrogant persons, what are we to be? Mousy, cringy, insecure ones? When we maintain our pride and work not to make too much or think too much of ourselves, we then run the risk of thinking too little of ourselves. We often course correct too far to the other extreme often to, or often try to diffuse our pride, uh, the compliments we receive or our compliment our Uh, accomplishments with self-deprecation. And I am definitely guilty of this. And I will happily cut myself down as a grown man with a wife, daughter, mortgage, and his own Muppet before anyone else or anything else can cut me down. But as we think, can't think too much of ourselves, we can't become doormats either. God calls us to be humble, but to live in humility his way, to embrace the fact that he is God and we are not to understand his greatness, power, and love, to rest in it and trust that it is enough. If we swing too far the opposite way, we run the risk, as Peterson says, of becoming people who think we need to become nothing and then compensate for our poor lives by weepily clinging to God, by hoping to make up for the miseries of everyday life, by dreaming of a better life, not here, but in heaven someday. And this leads us to the second thing that Psalm 131 is uh, asked to prune away, and that's infantile dependency. So let's look at contentment versus infantile dependency. Let's refresh and take a look at the second half of Psalm 131. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. Like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now. Hope always. I don't know the story of uh, all your faith journeys of you here in this room this morning, but I venture to guess that we probably have a wide range of different ways that we all came to be here this morning. Some of you probably grew up in the church. Some of you maybe decided to follow Jesus later in life or maybe after some sort of significant life event. But regardless of whether it was a big conversion moment or just deciding to make that faith that you had always grown up in, make it your own, I think we can remember a time in our lives where it felt really fresh and exciting. God felt so near and present and alive. 
But inevitably, over time, that feeling starts to fade a little bit. It seems harder to get back to that feeling, and it's just not the same. This is the emotion and attention behind the second half of Psalm 131. Peterson likes it, likens it to being like a child and the difference between the, that initial feeling and our dependence on it for simple childlike trust in God. He says, the Christian is not a naive, innocent infant who has no identity apart from a feeling of being comforted and protected and catered to, but a person who has discovered an identity given by God, which, he can, which can be enjoyed best and fully in a voluntary trust in God. We do not cling to God desperately out of fear and the panic of insecurity. We come to him freely in faith and love. When we make the decision to follow Jesus, we need that kind of euphoric connection. But as we grow and mature in our faith, God wants us to rely less and less on that feeling and more on our desire just to be with him. There's that famous passage in Mark where Jesus admonishes the disciples for scolding parents for bringing their children to see Jesus. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Jesus doesn't say this because he wants us to be needly, needy and helpless like a young child. He says this because of a child's willingness to be led, to be taught and to be blessed. Think of the young kids we have running around here at DR. Or think back to if you have kids, when your kids were uh, a really young age, or if you have young siblings when they were really young. They are mostly reliant on their mothers for everything, to be held, comforted, and to be fed. But as they grow and mature and are weaned from their sole reliance on their mother, which is not always an easy transition, something beautiful happens. They can simply just delight in being in their mother's arms and not want for anything. Back a few weeks ago at the 4th of July barbecue at Southeastern Miller's, I got to hold Jude for like 30, 45 minutes, an hour, something like that. And we're probably all aware, but just in case you aren't, Jude is like the chillest dude, little dude you'll ever meet, right? Um, he just hung out on my lap with like hardly a peep the entire time. It was great. And it would appear that Jude has some sort of leg up on this concept of contentment. But... Even so, there came a time where he got a little fussy, a little fidgety, and a little hungry, and I could not provide what he needed. So I had to take him back to Megan because he is still re so reliant on her for so many things. It is the same going from spiritual infancy, where we often, often grasp at God out of this desperation or that fresh new joy, to a maturing faith that responds to God just out of love. The longer we walk and mature in faith, it seems like all this should become easier, but it often becomes harder. The things that were exciting and electrifying when we first came to faith or made that decision to make our faith our own aren't the same. We might feel like God isn't as close as he once was, or there's something that we aren't doing that we should be doing. But this is maturing in faith. This is spiritual weaning. We no longer need to be held and fed every moment of every day by God. God has gotten us to a place where we can, for lack of a better term, be on our own and are free to come and enjoy the presence of our God. Or not. Our relationship with Jesus is not all on him. He wants us to put in effort as well. He needs us to put in the effort. And we need to buy in and put in that effort. Many, many years ago, we had a few people leave our church because they said they weren't being spiritually fed on Sunday mornings. 
And uh, I don't don't hear that teaching on Sunday mornings isn't necessarily a reason to not to leave a church. But while I might be biased, I think we do a really good job with our messages here on Sunday morning. And I would also say that a growing and maturing Christian cannot and should not rely just on a weekly sermon to be spiritually fed by God. And I think that was the crux of the issue here with these individuals. They expected to get everything they needed from an hour and a half on a Sunday, where God calls us to so much more. He calls us to daily prayer, presence, and spiritual practice that all works together with a community and a worship gathering. But we have to put in the time and effort ourselves. We have to make time for God. That is on us to do, regardless of what the content is on a Sunday morning once we reach that certain age of spiritual maturity. That breeds contentment, stillness, and quietness of the soul that is rooted not in our circumstances, but in God and Jesus. And that is what Psalm 131 is talking about here. These songs of ascent remind us that we are all on this journey and that life is a journey. Even if I was giving the world's greatest sermon up here, which I clearly am not, Um, None of us are going to automatically wake up tomorrow and be perfectly humble and content people. But reading and reflecting on scripture like Psalm 131 does something to us. It pushes us a little further in our journey and helps us uh, refine ourselves closer to the people God has created us to be. Like Peterson says of this psalm, the soul, clamoring for attention, arrogantly parading its importance by reading the psalm, is calmed and quieted so it can be itself truly. Because it's easy to make small choices that lead us to a life of pride, which can so easily turn to arrogance. And when our culture tells us day after day that that is the way to live, it becomes easy to lean into. This is the danger, but we cannot, but we can choose a different, different way. Like everything else, it will take time and intention to walk more humbly through life. We have to make a habit out of these things and we need to practice them every day. So here are a few things, some great ways, but by no means an exhaustive list of ways we can start creating habits of humility and contentment. First and foremost, remind yourself daily that God is God and you are not. Remember humility for us as followers of Jesus is having the right view of ourselves in relation to God and others and acting accordingly. Spend time listening to others and really listen Let others talk. Don't just wait for your turn to talk or to one-up a story like Penelope. Practice mindfulness and focus on the present. Be here now. Don't be worried about the past or the future. Be present now. Be polite. Just kindness goes a long, long way, and it makes you feel good, and it makes others feel good. Ask for help when you need it. Don't be too proud to admit that you don't know it all and you need someone else's expertise. Similarly, seek feedback from others on a regular basis, whether whether in a professional setting or in a church setting, iron sharpens iron, right? Small groups, mentorships, and accountability groups are a great, great way that we can push each other to better follow Jesus and be aligned with God's vision for us or to help us do our job better. Be content with what you have and where you are. Take time to just rest in God's presence with no other agenda. God wants to be with us, and he wants us to be with him. There's joy, comfort, and peace with taking time to just be 
with God. Review your actions against the language of pride. Pay attention to the way you talk and the words that you use. Are you bragging a little too often? Do you sound vain? Are you coming off as a snob? Analyze your speech and work to eliminate prideful uh, words and phrases and work to speak humbly. Humility is an accurate view of self, not an overvalued, not undervalued, but an accurate evaluation with proper recognition that all we have is a gift from God and none of us are self-made. We've all had help getting to where we are in life. Be proud of your accomplishments, but never forget to honor God's place in every single one of them. When 18th century uh, preacher Charles Spurgeon would preach on Psalm 131, he said, it is one of the shortest Psalms to read, but is one of the longest to learn. And he's right. It is really hard to be humble and it is really hard to be content. There are things we need to continually practice to rearrange our hearts and our thinking in a way that honors God. But that's a great thing about being on a journey and living in God's grace. We get a new chance to try again every day. There's an old song lyric that goes, all I want from tomorrow is to get it better than today. Yes, I'm dropping knowledge from 80s pop rock icon Huey Lewis in a message here this morning. All I want from tomorrow is to get it better than today. And this is the advantage we have living lives in grace. We can make the small choices to get today better than we got yesterday. So may we be people who walk humbly and rest contently in our Father's grace and love. May we keep our feet on the ground with a quiet and content heart. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for uh, your grace every morning when we wake up um, and how you offer it to us just time and time again throughout the day, Lord. Um, We come to you humbly this morning uh, and just ask that as the world um, uh, prioritizes pride um, and arrogance and uh, all those things and um, that that you may soften our hearts, that you may open our hearts to the way you want us to live, that, that we may be earnest in seeking your help um, and recognizing that your ways are better and that um, kindness and faithfulness and uh, following you um, leads to a better life, a more fulfilled life than a life um, of pride and arrogance, Lord. Um, may we just keep um, your words in this psalm on our minds uh, as we go throughout the week, and may we practice um, humility in your way um, as, as we go throughout our lives. pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at damascusroadtucson.com.